Hi, this is Thomas DePaulo. This is Dole. Hey, this is Melon Red. This is Kevin Ham. This is William Roy. Hey, this is Jake, and welcome to the Green Box. On tonight's episode of the Green Box, we'll be talking about the 2019 scenario contest the winner of which was Agent Obtuse with Operation God Object, or Wet Weird. We'll also be talking about some of our other favorite nominations on the list, and then we close it out by talking about our own personal entries. We hope you enjoy. Recently, on uh, the Night at the Opera subreddit slash Discord, we had the second annual Night at the Opera scenario contest. So I figured today we could talk about some of our favorites and why they're our favorites. I'd like to talk about the winners. Well, singular winner. 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 The winner of the scenario contest was called Operation God Object, a.k.a. Wet Weird, which is cleverly and playfully done up in Lee Speak. Remember here, boys, you can only play the scenario if you're an elite hacksaw. Yeah, that's pretty much disqualifies all my characters because I hate computer scientists. Well, if uh, if Agent uh, what's his name hadn't died, the 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 slightly high functioning autistic one, then maybe you'd be good. That doesn't dis- that doesn't really distinguish him from any of my other characters <laughs> or from me. <laughs> so one of the things I like about this scenario, at a glance, it's formatted really nicely. Uh, almost all. Uh, my, mine included, you know, scenario submissions at this level are basically just a text document with, if you're, if you're classy, you put some headings and some bold stuff in there. Um, but this has uh, some, like a cool top secret cover page. It has a fake text message window. It, it's really, it's really nice. It's really pretty. The very basic um, rundown of this scenario is that it's about a war in heaven between superpowered AIs and the human cultists who love them. It begins with one of the thinking machines launching a major uh, hack on all like federal databases in the United States. Yeah, it's exactly like the fourth best Die Hard film. Which Die Hard is that? I'm not taking this bait because I haven't seen any of them. Uh, yeah, me neither. Oh it's uh, Live Free or Die Hard, which I, starts I off. I said uh, I wasn't taking the bait. Uh, where the hackers uh, crash everything on the eastern seaboard. Very similar uh, setup for this. Here's what this this scenario does is um, it's about being a computer scientist or being an expert at that. So that's the upfront ask for this scenario that you bring characters to the table that have those skills. And I like this because it addresses something that we talked about earlier, where a lot of scenarios don't necessarily have a clear path and rely on the handler and players sort of having this knowledge or negotiating what's possible whereas this scenario gives very clear guidelines about here's what you can discover if you have this level of knowledge here are avenues of attack that you can pursue it also does throw you a bone in terms of uh hey if your characters just want to shoot stuff here's a play here's a way they can investigate as well so i appreciate that yeah that was good because i the thing is i really don't like playing as computer scientists i don't think that that's a fun skill set to use so the fact that there's an alternate route of investigation that has like genuine intrigue, it has pathos, it has secrets to discover, interactions to be had. And then later on in the scenario, there are monster fights against spooky different enemies. There's like a whole like gallery of essentially robot masters to fight or to interact with. A lot of cool NPCs that are at the end of the scenario. 
Well, would you say that if you go the computer science route, you're lacking some of that stuff? No, I wouldn't say that because all the all the routes lead you to the same place. What changes is how much information you arrive with and the state that the enemy is in when you get there. Oh, so it's like a Telltale game, but better. The main thing that I would do differently is the the big uh, like all, having all federal computers everywhere hacked at the start of the scenario. I think that that is like a world changing thing to begin a scenario with. And that's fine if you want it to have a huge impact on your game world, but I personally might tone it down a little because I think that the scenario works the same way either way. Yeah, I mean, I definitely believe that in the kind of environment we operate in when playing this game, that holds true where having huge epic things happen uh, works if it's like a one shot more than anything else, unless you want to start a campaign with this. No, I think that well, you could you could you could hypothetically drop this in somewhere else uh, if you had been going out of your way to do stuff with like these thinking machines because one of the conceits of this is that the uh the villain in the scenario has a boxed ai but so does the uh so does delta green so it's vaguely similar to an old uh eclipse phase fan scenario probably the best eclipse phase scenario better than any of the official ones called think before asking which is about a boxed ai that acts as an oracle i do i do think you might be underestimating the sheer amount of cyber attack activity that goes on all the time I'd say this, this scenario did a great job with a premise that I fundamentally don't find super interesting. Like, I don't think that cyber warfare is interesting. I don't think that, like, hacking the power grid is interesting. But this scenario took it and made it cool. The one, the most unrealistic thing to me is there's that one section where it's describing, like, the the software engineer or the computer programmer guy whose entire house is, like, wired up and it's, like, a smart house. A programmer would, no, 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 like, no one who knows anything about computer science will ever, like, even get a single internet of thing let alone the internet of things because if you know anything about that you're going to say no i want to live in a cave i want to i want to use a musket because my black my you know smokeless powder firearm might get hacked like those people are those people are pure analog they don't fuck with anything that's connected to the internet unless it's something they could smash with a sledgehammer i, I did like the uh, spoilers here when the guy's brain gets absorbed into the computer network and then he starts like showing himself off to his wife through the smart home systems, like when Alexa starts playing his wife's favorite song out of the blue, or when the uh, when the smart coffee maker starts making her coffee just the way she likes without being prompted, you know, that, that was a nice touch. I think that's definitely fun, and it definitely could incur a lot of sand loss. I like things that tug at my heartstrings. I, I really tugged at my heartstrings. One of your, your big hazards is with a scenario that's about computers and electronics is that you can really get stuck, uh, or the players can really get stuck if the surveillance is too omnipresent. This is this is a, the problem that Eclipse Phase has, where because everything is connected to the internet and constantly watching you at all times, you really have to go through all these elaborate hoops to do the simplest of things. And so if that's the world that the players find themselves in, it's very, very difficult to get anything done. I would almost compare it to scenarios where there's like a disease operating, where you're constantly forced to this defensive posture and you can't really go out and do anything interesting because every action you take has to be hobbled by this obsessive paranoia about the simplest things that could lead to disaster or you also run the risk of it being kind of monotonous if you're all you're doing is doing computer science over and over again but i think this breaks it up enough to where you're not just computer sciencing your way through the scenario but you know what uh, i think we complain here about uh scenarios where it's just firearms over and over again all the way throughout it and this is a nice uh, refreshing uh take away from that you guys have heard me talk before about I appreciate a scenario that I can pick up and run easily. Um, 
and having stuff like bolded um, skills and other little breakouts, like typical queries and what might happen, uh, it goes a long way. Sometimes people will just bury those in text, like a big text dump about what's happening, which is nice, but I also want to be able to refer to it at a glance. He gives a lot of detail about every little single thing, and I like that. It's very well thought out. The sci-fi horror is very interesting to me, like the, what, what's that game? System Shock type stuff. To close it all together, even ends up giving us a lot of cool green box items at the very end. I don't know if he pulled these out of the green box generator or if he made those for himself. Yeah, I like those. Each of them has all have their own little story behind them. Yeah, and I, they're not necessarily uh, so much that they distract you from the rest of the scenario at large. Do we have any other thoughts on... Uh... So, I mean, in the cyber world, you don't pronounce anything. It's all... That green text from the Matrix. Yeah, I, I didn't even read this scenario. I just uh, visualized, you know, uh, horrible, spiky computer Spider-Man, uh, you know, smart house. Like, I didn't even read it. It just came to me. Yeah, it's just what happens when I you see, get used to I it. I see the, the, bit, the bit that you're doing here, but I think you've you dragged it out a bit too long. So, moving on, though, uh, what were some of you guys' other favorites? So, you know, uh, I have a special place in my heart for set pieces. Um, I Probably more so than anyone else but uh it's probably why i really liked the scenario uh wrong place worst time which i mean is really just a really well done set piece but it works um the basic premise is that you drop this in after a briefing or after a group has finished up a briefing or finished up an operation they're driving somewhere they stumble into a robbery in progress and they get they have to deal with some pretty cool um creatures that show up and it gives you a lot of different ways to play with that and kind of gives you a little bit of a canvas to play on it's good, uh, kind of like the very popular combination where you do last things last and then metamorphoses. This is kind of contender for that. Uh, you know, if you go last things last and then wrong place, worst time, uh, it could be a pretty decent transition, I think. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think this is a good scenario. My one objection to it is that it seems very tilted towards just firearms in your way out, which is fine because I think it's funny to have a scenario where you just take a shotgun and shoot like 30 owls that are on your car. <laughs> and then uh, you get an interesting phobia uh, later on where you, uh, I, d- I don't know the word for fear of owls. Let me look it up real fast. I'm not afraid of owls if like, how, here, here's a question. How much HP does an owl have? Like one or two. All right. So I can kill an average of 11 to five owls with one blast of a shotgun. It doesn't matter that much? It matters so much to me how many owls I can get with one hit of buckshot. It's uh, ornithophobia. What have the owls ever done to you, man? They are skinwalkers. Eminem has a fear of owls. Can we... Wait, like the rapper? Yeah, he has ornithophobia. Owls are owls are giant birds that have big claws and big eyes. That's why you should be scared of them. Anyways, um... Wrong place, worst time. Yeah, that was neat. Yeah, I like it. This also came. Uh, we 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 have a good group of regulars in Night of the Opera, um, including one person who just uh, shits scenarios. Um, it's pretty prolific. Uh, he who will not be named. Yeah. Uh, he, but this came from someone who's kind of outside that realm, so it was cool to get some exposure. People who like Delta Green and are kind of on the fringes, it was cool to see them submit something. So I think that the first, the winning scenario was also by someone who had not submitted some scenarios before. Yeah, so that's that's great. I like to see the community grow a little bit. Though, which scenario do you like? Uh, my favorite scenario is the Migo killed the radio star. The Migo? What are Migo? It, it's it's fine. It's Dole said it that way because he actually doesn't know what it's a reference to. <laughs> yeah, oh my god, oh, that's like, wait, amazing. Is it, is it a reference to to the hip hip band of the two, 2010s, the Migos? Dole, it's it's a song. It's it's a reference to the song "Video Killed the Radio Star." 
Oh, okay. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a reference to that hip song from the 2010s about video. We got, we got the, the Boomer, star. Zoomer, and the Doomer here having a conversation. All right. Uh, as I was saying, I really like Mike Who Killed the Radio Star because it's a mythos hoedown gone right. It's a game when everybody comes to the party, and I think uh, this scenario did that really well. It's just, this is a scenario I wrote. was one of six that I wrote for this contest, um, and it six. is an idea that I got from a different poster on the Discord. I got it from Top Hat, and his idea was that there was a, a radio station broadcasting the Elder Sign, and that was pretty much all he had. And he had some, other, I mean, no, he had some other stuff too. But the basic idea that I got from that is that there's like some Delta Green agents who are basically survivalists and just want to go to this, make this hideout using uh, the radio signal. And so they they broadcast this giant elder sign and they hide out in the radio station and prepare for the end of the world. The problem is that making the elder sign pisses off all these other creatures because now they're like, hey, we can't we can't go we can't like navigate this area. What gives? So all the unnatural creatures send like their human proxies in to fuck stuff up and take out the radio station. But then that's not the only group that's in play because then the Migo are like, this is fucked up. We got to tell Majestic about this. Majestic flies there. A secret UFO overhead. The Elder Sign disables the magic that lets it fly, so the UFO crashes. So there's a crashed UFO, and it's giving off radiation, it's making all the animals fucked up. And then, meanwhile, there's a team of Deep One infiltrators that are coming in because they've identified the Delta Green agents that made the Elder Sign as powerful sorcerers, and they want to, like, get their seed to make the uh, babies as part of the Deep One breeding program. And then there's a Cthulhu cultists that want to come in because the way that the Delta Green agents made the uh, Elder Sign was by... They needed 100 power, so they basically turned a star spawn into a giant potato battery by, like, using rituals to trap it and steal its power. And so the, the Cthulhu cultists are like, that's cool, you guys are great, you were strong enough to kill this guy, that means that you're, you know, worthy of survival. We just want to give him a proper burial by eating him. And so then you have all, you have, and then you have this legion of grizzled boomers that the Migo have manipulated into attacking the radio station. And so that's your, that's all your factions that are involved in the scenario. And so you're Delta Green and you have to go to this town. Oh, the other thing is that all the townsfolk are getting sick because the Migo have been experimenting on them and doing medical stuff. But now they're getting elder signs, so all of their magical body parts are slowly failing. No proto matter, I hope. No, there's, there's no, because I didn't want to do that, because if you do proto-matter, then it's just a repeat of Grover's Bill, and they just want to burn everything. The only thing I don't like about this scenario is the inaccuracy of the animals present that are affected by the uh, the crashed UFO. How's that, though? There are no cougars and wolves in Maine. Well, they all got shot. There are cougars if there are single older ladies looking to have a good time. That's what that's what those deep ones are. <laughs> the deep one cougars? Yeah, they're probably like a, they're like, they're like 100 years old. Uh, the other thing that I did with this one is because I realized that it was uh, probably too complicated to just look, to just hold all the information while reading through it, is I made a, re- a quick reference card to show how all the factions interacted with each other. Yeah, I really appreciated that. I think that's something that I probably should have done for more scenarios than this one because there's a lot of stuff that's like that where it's quite difficult to just read a narrative and then uh, f- kind of figure out how everyone interacts with everybody else. The fact that you're not really forced to intervene in any specific activity, and it's very sandboxy where you have to choose where you want to go first. Man, I really like the presentation of this. Uh, I've been getting into Blades in the Dark a lot lately, and this setup, this presentation, really reminds me of that, where they give you all of these really awesome, cool plot elements, these uh, different threads for players to grab at and unravel. And then, uh, you know, it's up to the players entirely to uh, choose their own adventure here. This is increasingly what the Delta Green developers have been doing, where uh, Tynes has said it about Labyrinth, and I think Detwiller might have even just 
just had a just posted on Twitter recently about this that their philosophy now is rather than trying to have a specific plot thread that falls apart if the players don't follow it, just make sure that the game world is so dense with things that you can interact with that you can go in any direction and have fun. That's something that uh, I know Tom has done a really good job with some of his scenarios, and it's difficult because you have to make sure that, like, you have to basically put the players in the middle of the map, and or the map either literally or metaphorically, and make sure that any direction they go in, there's something fun. The... Uh... The whole thing about the Elder Sign being broadcast from a radio reminds me of uh, the old uh, Vietnam uh, squadron of uh, F4 weasels, or F4, the, the wild weasels, where they go out and they play flashlight tag with uh, radar emplacements. Because, you know, when the radio station's on, it turns uh, all these different unnatural abilities off. But when the radio station's off, well, now they're free to come in. So you've got this whole uh, on-off dynamic going on with it. For, for those of you who aren't, like, constantly read, referring back to the Handler's Guide and rules as written and so on, like I do, because I'm, you know, apparently that's what I do, uh, there's a line in the, in the dispel list where it says that the big Elder Sign that costs 100 power makes a 10-kilometer radius, and it acts as an anti-magic field, essentially. So I kind of hand-waved it and said the Deep Ones could go inside because they were um, not completing their transformation, but, like, it still made them uncomfortable. And but everyone else was like just kind of down to their wits, and the Cthulhu cultists had had a problem because they all counted on using the spell um, soothing song to suppress their disorders, but they couldn't use it while they were inside the the circle. So they just gradually became crazier and crazier as their like true selves came out. Thank thank you all for saying so many nice things about my scenario. Oh, I could say something mean about it if you'd like. Sure, go ahead. I'm never going to use all of these things in a single game, man. You've got too, you've got too much, man. Too, uh, too many things. Like I said, I'd, I'd probably cut out either the Deep One Sirens or the Cthulhu Cultists because they almost feel like a little bit out of place, um, and it wouldn't really take away too much from the scenario. So that that's actually probably a good thing about it is that you have all the stuff out there, and it's up to the handler to decide what they want to put in because I think I'd have a hard time juggling all these things. The, I will say this, the absolute best moments when I ran the game were uh, their interactions with each other and with the players. There were a lot of uh, interactions besides just rolling firearms uh, when you have to, uh, when you accidentally stumble into something and you're in over your head. That does sound like a really good time. Basically discount the Amigo because they're, masi- they're, they're basically, they're basically more of an environmental hazard because they can go after you if you leave the circle. Oh yeah, that's that's good. It's a way to keep players engaged in the thing and not have them just run away the whole time. Well, they can they can they can absolutely do that and like get in a fight with them or you know get like like it's possible to just leave because one of the things that I that I actually do like about the presentation of the Migo in Delta Green because it's it's kind of hit or miss. But one of the one of the things I do like about it Guess they is never that miss, huh? is that the well they do quite often. But one of the things they they got right was there's a fun trend where the Migo uh, have this weird compulsion to put things back the way they found them. Like, sometimes they'll experiment on people, but sometimes they just read your memory, erase your memory, and just put you back where they found you. Which is uh, pleasant, uh, because then you get to keep playing as your Delta Green agent, although something might not be quite right with them. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like, but if you don't know that happened, does it really matter? It does if the handler knows, uh, you know, if he keeps his notes that your uh, heart has been replaced with clockwork valves or whatever. You get the you go to your next checkout or the the next time you get injured and you have to go to the hospital and they do an X ray and the, the doctor's like what the fuck and you're like what the fuck Jake what was your favorite scenario Um I have to choose between two I hope that's okay with you 
you have to choose and only tell us about one. No, you can do two. Uh, oh my god. So the anyways, uh this scenario, uh Satanic Panic was by Will Zuma, who wrote uh Soft White Dam, which won the contest last year. But uh in Satanic Panic he puts us in the nineteen eighties, kinda at the height of that whole uh playing D and D is the devil, uh that that whole uh time period there. And he uh ties in a bunch of uh Lovecraft country elements, which is like one of the prompts that he used the most in it. Um so I really liked it. Um, I think a bunch of other people really liked it too because Will Zuma is really good. or Will Shar is his real name. He's really good at creating NPCs and creating drama and like a very uh, sort of tragic background for players to explore and find out. Uh, but this year, uh, I really liked the scenario, but I felt like it could have used an edit pass because it took me like uh, two reads to kind of figure out and piece together exactly what was going on. It was a, about a group of teenage friends who uh, experience uh, different uh, mythos related things. And then uh, there is the night of where things just kind of go wrong for all of them. And the players now, uh, Delta Green agents, come back through and they piece it all back together and figure it all out. I did not. I must have misread it because I didn't even get that far. That I, I I could not for the life of me figure out what it was that the people were even being accused of. And I got to the end of the scenario and realized that there was an elaborate meta plot regarding a war between Deep Ones and the Hounds of Nodens. But that was the pretty much all I understood. There were a few cool set pieces that I had a good grasp of, like the uh, the child who had no legs and was being abused by the parents. Yeah, there was that constantly reoccurring thing where the snails were coming out of the person's head, too. That was really gross. There were lots of nice things in there, but I think that we're not the only ones who said that it was hard to follow what exactly was uh, going on inside this one. So that's something to take away from it. Um, A timeline of events or a table that uh, tells you relationships between the different groups that you have at play there. Um, If if it might be overly complicated, like... uh, course when when you and i write stuff we tend to know what we're writing about because we're writing it but uh when you write a scenario for other people to play you want them to be sure that it's uh one that you understand or that it's understandable uh because kevin you said it before i like thing you said you like things you just pick up and can insert or that you know uh where things are in order and it's easy to kind of piece things together yeah this one will be almost impossible for me to run without like printing it out, making notes, highlighting things, and I'm not going to do that for a scenario that isn't mine, I guess. <laughs> I know when uh, Will Zuma sent this in, he basically sent it in right near the end, and he basically told me that this scenario nearly killed him, and he felt like at times it was writing him. So I think you're, you're reading through a bit of a catharsis here. Yeah, he, he definitely uh, lets things take hold of him. And I mean, that, that sort of passion shows in it because, uh, like I said, there are a bunch of really heartfelt moments that uh, take place in it. Like the, the two teenagers that uh, have a feelings for each other. And then there's the, the little girl that's being abused. And all these relationships are there. Uh, I mean, it might be hard for the players to piece together. And there's things that really, really tug at your heartstrings. And uh, I think I mentioned that before. That's something that I really like. Because then it sets you up for decisions that you have to make about what needs to be done. Anyways, uh, uh, Zomner, our Finnish friend over at the Night at the Opera Discord server, wrote Operation Pelelucid Frond, or God Coming Through the Roof Tonight. I really like this one as well. Um, kind of plays into, uh, I guess I, the, the premise of it is that there is a essentially a wizard that is creating uh, those mini houses out of like... Uh, 
storage units out of uh, for the homeless people, and it's in Seattle, I think, is the one this place takes in. Uh, Melon, you have probably have a uh, something to share about that because you're familiar um, with that, right? I have a I have a paper that I wrote on the subject for uh, the King it, County Council. Does it give you any insight into this scenario, perhaps? Um, I actually wish that he had told me he was doing this because I could have given him a lot, given him a lot of grist for it. Uh, concerning the effectiveness of this sort of project, or what? Grist, grist, as in like a lot of content that he could use about. Because the thing is, is that a lot the the um, encampments that are actually being run on this model, like the uh, the tiny house encampments, were like when when we looked at them in the like a couple years ago, it looked very promising because it was. Like this is the, this is potentially the cheapest we can do to quote unquote house somebody in an environment where building like actual housing is incredibly difficult because not only does it cost a whole lot but also you're gonna get fought every step of the way by the neighborhood and it's yeah, also they don't want the to value build. of the the property to go down yeah and it's also illegal to build apartments in like sixty or seventy percent of the city because of the way zoning works here uh, but anyways the the developments it looked like it looked like everything was going really well. And then um, they actually have now got their funding basically terminated and their contracts terminated with the city because apparently the, their case management was actually really, really poor and the neighborhoods fucking hated it. Because the thing is, is that um, the way that things work in Seattle is that the neighborhoods that get stuff like homeless camps, the neighborhoods that get upzoned for higher density are usually neighborhoods that are poorer and don't have the political power to block those things. Um, I think that overall the approach to homelessness in Seattle is a bit... Um, the reason why it's so bad is that they imagine you're trying to do carrot and stick, but you can't afford carrots and you're not allowed to use a stick because there's no political will or money to do the nice thing, which is to like build housing, give people treatment, stuff like that. And the police are constrained from doing the mean thing and locking people up. So you can't, you can't, or, or if they do it, they get a big fat ACLU lawsuit when it you know comes out what they've done. So they're basically stuck with the status quo of doing nothing and everything just gets worse. So that's the political environment that Zomner is wading into when he writes this scenario. Oh, I mean, what, what insight could you could, does that give you uh, related to his scenario? Like, did he, did he get things uh, good with it? Did he uh, capture th- things well? Or I think that in order to make it um, more visceral, I think it would have been good to make it a um, a wet shelter or a wet tiny house village where people were allowed to, to use, and then um, the the dealers take advantage of that because there's now. A concentrated population of of users who they know will not be rolled by the police, or who are not supposed to be rolled by the police. Anyway, all that is is ancillary to the actual scenario he wrote because he wrote a he wrote a scenario about a wizard or witch who is using magic to build housing, but the somehow this on the inside are like the TARDIS because they're bigger on the inside which, than they're on the outside. Which is cool, except that then he kind of takes a left turn and goes into like God being summoned through through this process. And I kind of didn't get, like, it felt like it was building up to something that just wasn't there at the end. There wasn't enough, like, flavorful description of who the final boss was. Because I feel like you could do something really cool with that. Like, uh, you guys remember the SCP uh, article where it's about the guys going through the building in Kowloon Walled City that's been enlarged and it's just an infinite copy of itself? So he goes through the rooms made of glass and the room made of paper and the room made of wood and it's the same room over and over again and it's the same objects but they're all made of one substance and the guy goes completely insane and like your 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 biggest risk is falling and hurting yourself because if you fall down you know they're, they're, you'll have a room with no floor and that's just the same room below it and you can just fall forever. I think he could I think he could have doubled down on the architectural horror. 
Yeah, that's what I was going to say. There's so much uh, space for architectural horror. Like, uh, you know, the other good uh, architectural horror, Night Floors, um, you could definitely get into some things very similar to this. Sort of like M.C. Escher, Penrose Staircases. Um, if I were to, and you'll probably give me a hard time for this because you always give me a hard time for this. If I was going to tie it to like an existing H.P. Uh, Lovecraft mythos thing, I'd do some like Dayloth stuff, you know. Uh, where things are like what they seem on the surface, you know, the, these houses exist in a dimension where the realm, or sorry, where uh, the veil's been lifted and uh, reality is what it really is there, you know? I don't think that you need to do that. I think that you can do that without invoking a existing thematic, you know, or you, you, can, do, you can get the thematics without um, having to tie yourself to like, you know, he's the renderer of veils. He renders the veils in 1080p using, uh, you know, volumetric shading. Why did the why did the console cross the road? Uh, because he needed to catch up to render the buildings on the other side. Based. Uh, PC master race. Anyways, um, that's why they're called. That's why it's called the mustard race because consoles need to catch up. <laughs> nice. Um. So yeah. Uh, talking with him after the contest was over, uh, I encouraged him to just stay at this scenario because I really yeah. really liked it. He should keep writing it. Is what he should do. There was a couple of people uh, that mentioned the same thing, like, oh, I just was trying to meet the deadline. I'd like to keep working on it. So we definitely want to, I definitely want to see some of those updates. Yeah, like, uh, I have, I'm going to talk about one later that I want to see continue working on. Here, go ahead, dive into it now. Um, I don't know if it's my favorite, but one of the ones that I liked that wasn't finished was uh, the one that Tetrarch wrote about the Pisces adventure in the Northern Ireland called Dark Tales and Green Scales. Tetrarch's Irish, and this this scenario takes place in a land that is near to him, and it's about the Troubles, the civil war in Northern Ireland and Ireland between uh, people who wanted to be part of Great Britain and people who wanted to be part of regular Ireland, and it's more complicated than that. if you're a consumer, don't worry about not getting the reference, because everything old is new again. You're going to get the, the, troubles to, the Troubles to Electric Boogaloo. The thing that this scenario does well is... Um, it has like a cool atmosphere. It has a really cool use of the setting where it talks about like here's you know all the dangers of patrolling and so on, and you can get um, uh, killed in a bombing or by a sniper or whatever. I think where it falters is that I don't think it includes quite enough context for people who aren't familiar with the specific um, events of it. Because I can I can I I'm someone who knows a little bit about about the the history, and so I can look at it and say oh yeah these are you know loyalist paramilitaries, uh, IRA. You know, different, there's different sub-factions, uh, Catholics versus Protestants, stuff like that. But uh, I don't feel that just someone picking it up apropos of nothing could just look at it and say, oh yeah, I understand, you know, the factions in play. Which isn't, it isn't, it's not crucial that they get that, but if they're supposed to be characters enmeshed in this world, then, it's, then it helps. But that's secondary to my real problem. My real problem is that the scenario is not finished. This scenario is about a wizard and some monsters running around in... Uh, during the Troubles in Northern Ireland. And the wizard and the monsters are not given... Um, they're not written up anywhere. There's no stats for them. But you've, you've talked about it before, about writing historical scenarios. You said to take a controversy and put people in the middle of it and possibly have them party to it. And this uh, captures that pretty well. I think that, that um, the one the one thing I'll say about this one is that I think if I was playing this scenario, I would not have even the slightest bit of sympathy for the civilians because it explicitly says that they are not only completely unhelpful but actively working against you and will get you killed so it makes this 
section about like you know if you guys don't solve it pisces is going to send a kill team in and just raise everything to the ground and when i was reading it i was thinking if i was playing this scenario i would probably do that myself i'd want to be on that pisces kill fuck team. all because fuck all these people like it, it explicitly says that that they are useless and everything that you do will be fed by them to people who are trying to kill you and the other flaw in it the thing that i found um was that or the thing that i had trouble with is that it seemed like there weren't many good avenues of investigation it seemed like you just kind of bumbled around while stuff was happening to you, and then it had a couple NPCs appear and explain to you the plot of the scenario. Yeah, or you would investigate the remnants of a firefight that happened to somebody else. Yeah, you're basically waiting for... You're basically sitting around while interesting things happen to other people. So I think it's a, I think there's a great setup here. There's a lot of cool grist to be uh, made into a great, a great scenario. I definitely think he should keep working on it. Yeah, like if, if your scenario is... Uh, serpent people are fighting uh, the British occupied forces and also the the uh, PIRA. Right, is the PIRA not the IRA? Mm, so so it's it's um it's there's Catholic paramilitaries, there's Protestant paramilitaries, there's the British, there's the Wizard, and there's the Worms of the Earth. Right. Uh, but the but what I was saying is if if it's the the Worms of the Earth uh, fighting. People let your agents be the ones that get fought because that's inherently more interesting than coming up after the fact and uh, piecing well, together. Well, not what happened, necessarily right? because because there, there's supposed to be a progression where you find the evidence of these attacks and you figure out what's happening. But the the problem is that it progresses to it progresses from you don't know what's happening to someone tells you what's happening. So I think more of that intermediate stage where there's more there's more stuff to interact with. There's more of an opportunity to to learn things on your own to you know get in fights with these with these things or with the other people. Because I feel like it, I feel like it, it uh, has the, it, it has the same potential as any battlefield scenario to vacillate wildly between uh, nothing happening and instant death, which is maybe, which is maybe accurate, but not necessarily fun. But I, overall, I really like it because it has a great sense of place, and I just, I think it needs to be finished, and then it'd be really good. So, uh, do we want to finish up ours if we have any uh, further thoughts? All right. Well. Uh... Scenario I wrote for the contest was one that was several months in the making, and I decided not to finish until the last minute. Uh, that scenario is a lady running down to the Riptide or Operation uh, Chloroform Lemming. Uh, I based this off of the themes of Lovecraft Country, uh, Creature from American Folklore, and uh, A Cold Case. And I could also throw Ghosts of Delta Green's Past in there. The basic idea of the scenario that I had, which I liked was a lot, was... I was just scrolling through because I wanted to use creatures of American folklore that were from the Massachusetts area. And I found something about the Gloucester, the Gloucester serpent, which was a creature from folklore in like the early 1800s that was a giant sea serpent. And I figured, well, we've seen in the past and in other scenarios from other scenario contests and just scenarios in general, the deep ones take many different forms. I figure it'd be nice and easy to have a uh, serpent that was a deep one. And then I threw in, there was a book I read that I do not remember the title of when I was uh, younger, and I threw in a lot of elements from that. What were those elements? Uh, the basic plot of somebody on a bike falling off a cliff and having it to do with a giant monster. Oh, yeah, that, that takes a shine into her. For those of you uh, who aren't familiar, this is a scenario about teen angst and fucking a deep one. <laughs> and I think it worked out pretty well in the end. I think um, that... You have a lot of good elements here. I think the whole thing could be shorter and more targeted towards things that are more interactive. Because you have this very, very, very voluminous backstory at the beginning of the scenario. That that is a common problem with my scenarios. Which yeah, it's 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 good. Mean. It could just it could be about a paragraph. 
instead yeah. of a couple pages. Um, good, good, uh, good, like content, just you know, a bit shorter. Um, scenario. It seemed like it had it had a few dead ends in it where it's possible to get stuck by not being able to to retrieve the information necessary to proceed because you're basically trying to assemble the pieces of the Triforce essentially to unlock the final encounter. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think of the one of the ways that that worked out in the end because I had good feedback that a lot of people liked the puzzle that is introduced where you have to combine the three recordings. Really liked your monster, man. Your Gloucestershire uh, serpent. It seemed like the serpent is very hard to interact with, but I like that it can use its uh, lure as a giant flashbang. Yeah. yeah. In general, I really, I think the premise that I got was good, and I think. I tried, it was kind of hard for me actually to play a character with a condition which I'm not intimately familiar with. And I consulted with several members of the Night of the Opera Forum about like just advice on how to run it, which went really well. Like I said, uh, my favorite part of it was the monster uh, because uh, regular deep ones are getting kind of boring. So giving them cool flashbang uh, tail stingers, nice. Jake, tell us about your scenario. Um, my favorite, I, I submitted two. My favorite one was, uh, not about deep ones because we were inundated with sea monsters, uh, this scenario contest, but this, this one that wasn't about deep ones, uh, I wrote about the dreamlands because that's one of my favorite, uh, HP Lovecraft things. Uh, where did I get the motivation for or inspiration for this one? Uh, came from, uh, I had watched the movie Big Fish, which is a Steven Spielberg movie about, uh, uh, man and his dying father and his dying father always told him these really extravagant stories his whole life uh to the point where he wasn't sure uh obi-wan couldn't tell if his dad was lying to him or not um and you combine that with i lost my grandfather a couple months ago and i kind of had like that that uh, relative experience there because my grandpa always told me a lot of stories about uh how he used to be policing back in the day um and i just kind of channeled that and made the uh, NPC uh, in Operation Arctic Jelly or the Power of Positive Dreaming. Uh, I just kind of like that where he's got a bunch of big fish stories that the players get to be a part of. Uh, starting uh, because I wanted to use the the contest prompts about uh, Ghost of Delta Green's past. So I went through the Handler's Guide, found a couple of like obscure uh, references to past uh, operations and started them out, which is what the Handler's Guide is really good for, I think. Uh, so it starts off with them in 1950s hunting a Yeti in the Himalayas. It progresses forward to, uh, you know, Vietnam, Cambodia era where they're uh, at a Chocho village trying to stop them from summoning something really bad. Uh, then I use something that you were largely an inspiration for, Melon, the Dreamlands Gap, which do you want to explain what that is? Because I feel like you might be able to do a little better than me. A Dreamlands Gap is a con- the concept of the a group of CIA agents who realize that the uh, there's a an alternative perceptual space where human minds can interact with each other uh, from anywhere on Earth while they're sleeping, and they realize that this conceptual space could very easily be taken over by the Soviets. So they need to make sure that it's controlled by the Americans instead, and so they. Um, plot a coup against King Curanes to replace the uh, Kingdom of Selafis with a USA-friendly moonbeast government. Yeah, that was uh, that was your conceptual take on it, and I just wanted it to be kind of like a spy game uh, in Dilathleen and the Plateau of Ling and other places in the Dreamlands. 
uh, I had it to where it was the oh god I can I can never freaking pronounce it but the the Russian uh, platoon of tankers the Ted Tetskoyevsky Bratva I'm really Tetskoyevsky Bratva yeah that uh, well they had brought a tank into the Dreamlands through one of the physical ways that you get in and uh, they were breaking the rules of the Dreamlands because it seemed like everything else was stuck in the past. But anyways, it's like a little spy mystery thing. You got a little uh, pirate action with some flying ships. And then finally, the last part of it is when the uh, NPC gets captured by Majestic and subjected to some Outlook programming, and they find out that he was, uh, you know, up in the Dreamlands doing some things. They kind of flip him, and they use him to train Majestic agents because he can create his own... uh, like miniature localized version of the dreamlands uh and then finally there's that opportunity for agents to get that where they create this own opportunistic uh kind of like uh the, the the scene in the matrix where they make their own uh training dojo uh where you can get that but they use it basically to to run uh, it takes place in a retirement home and uh the guy is uh, now very old, very decrepit. He's suffering from dementia, some schizophrenia, just you know symptoms of uh, a serious mental illness that he's suffering from. Uh, and uh, it's one of those things, like I said, that tugs at people's heartstrings. I know when I did the play test, that's what people said. You know, they didn't know what they wanted to do. Uh, but the best solution is to let the man fall asleep before you kill him, because then he can live forever in the dreamlands. I think you definitely improved it from the first playtest that I listened to. I didn't play in it, but the first playtest was a real slog because it was just these three combat encounters, and um, it was further compounded by the players having to... Uh, you, you added this elaborate uh, set of mechanics where they could spend willpower to influence die rolls, and it was cool because it allowed them to you know experience dreaming, but it also really slowed the game down because it essentially made every die roll into two die rolls. Right, yeah. Yeah. Uh- it's that whole uh, thing, kind of like from classic Dreamland scenarios, and then the sense of slide is uh, sense of the slide of Hammond. Dead while I wrote, I wanted that to be a thing where you know uh, it's a higher level of training and uh, accessing your subconsciousness, uh, subconscious, I guess, to uh, realize your full potential because then you're always the hero in your own mind, which was kind of like the theme I was going for there. I think I simplified those mechanics a little bit. I really liked the the what I had arrived at. At basically a, a chance to re-roll a failed thing at the cost of some willpower um, so that you can be the big damn hero and you can do the cool stuff over and over again and you can have all those combat uh, kind of grindy hero moments uh, because it's a dream and dreams are cool. I mean, I've always been a fan of the idea that the Dreamlands is a different space from what we get with normal Delta Green games, which is grit, which is, are more usually more gritty, where you can have something a little more both pulpy and less horrifying, where Delta Green can actually be the good guys can happen. Uh, he's not necessarily a good guy. Like the final encounter is him in a uh, demented stupor, uh, kind of telling agents they need to uh, put pressure on this guy. You know that whole uh, outlook thing where they they do this uh, the stress subjection. Uh, to see how people react but the person that they're doing it to is just like a retirement home orderly and he's just confused and thinks it's like a, a brand new blue fly uh, majestic recruit or whatever but then uh, my favorite part is the opportunity to get the uh, 
the really old retired Delta Green agent guy as a bond because then that's something for you to use uh, study the unnatural later or if you need a reference on something that you've never seen before well hey maybe he's seen it and I think that's all I have to say about that Oh, at the end of it, I put a couple of references to other uh, Dreamlands-related things. Um, and I, I try to make sure that whenever someone chooses to stay on the case or study the natural, I, I'm trying to write things in for that so that when uh, if someone else ever wants to run this, then they don't have to do too much digging or thinking on their own. Uh, it's kind of there for them to use. Because that's, that's uh, something that a lot of published scenarios don't do. They don't really give you the options for those home scenes, stay on the case or study the unnatural? I thought it was good. Uh, I think the one thing that, that I, I think would have, was uh, a mistake to remove is in the very early draft of the scenario, you had uh, vignettes where the players would have brief moments of lucidity in the nursing home where they were using canes as rifles and throwing Coke cans as grenades. Yeah, they'd come back through uh, maybe when they're doing like the post-op uh, clean up and they get the security camera footage and they can see themselves just like stumbling around the doing doing things like that but uh I, yeah i moved away from that because i wanted it to be a dream rather than like a intoxicant or a drug thing it's funny uh you know i might i might write something like that later now that was episode 18 we hope you enjoyed it just like we enjoyed all 20 of the entries in the scenario contest in the episode description you'll be able to find links to all our social media pages as well as links to the night at the opera subreddit and discord where we hope you'll join us play some games run some games have some good discussions until next time keep your eyes at the skies stay frosty